Hey, Mike. Hey, Colin. Welcome to episode 17 of Divergent Opinions. There we go. Full circle. So, uh, how's your week? Enjoying the weather? Yeah, it's great. It's uh, almost 30, so that's good. Uh, I just shut the window so we could podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame because pretty nice out. I had them open as wide as they'd go. I could do that too. I just choose not to. 60, mid-60s, I think. Mm. It's rough here. Well, I have more, uh, you know. Space. Hardiness. Uh, I have more guts, more, what do they, what do they say we have? More. Uh, you have bigger guts, yes. That's, that is also true. Uh, I'm better in, in some way by virtue of it being cold here. I'm pretty sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Sure. Oh, wow. Well. How was your week uh, fixing bugs and stuff? Uh, I'm done with it. That was fun. Should we talk about that? That was fun. Fun bug. Mm. Let's not put bugs in our software anymore. What do you think? We didn't put a bug in our software. <laughs> Apple put a bug in their uh, kernel extension. Yeah, well, let's not let them do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, what was that took what two and a half days to track down more than that when we started that on thursday no we yeah. started it in ernst on, on monday i think oh friday yeah. and i spent all weekend on it yeah i guess we kind of did crush on it for a while but hey it's totally fixed now so, so in case you're still using power pc g5 yeah on 10.5 um, with and, HDV, and with HDV, you will no longer. Rat. Yeah, then it works. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. I hate you, Apple. It would have been fine if it would if it had been a bug in our code. Then it would have been worth fixing. Yeah. But the fact that it was all to find something that we needed to work around for that one instance, and the fact that it, you know, because it's a kernel extension, you could get it into states where it was non-deterministic Nah, i don't believe that anymore yeah it definitely was anyways this is fun for the for the listeners yeah it's like uh our iChat conversations except recorded for you guys to hear this is what it's like all day at divergent headquarters isn't that exciting yeah so what happened in the news this week uh it was interby interby in japan Sort That's of their NAB, but smaller. Yeah. Don't they have another one though? There's a big like Pan Asian one that uh, yeah. supposed to There's be. There's one huge. in India. Mm, maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. Which I draw. I'm forgetting the name right now. Um, I think that's the big one. Um. Yeah. So what came out of Interby? I guess the big announce, the big announcements I saw were all from Black Magic. Yeah, Blackmagic just seems to sort of have this endless pipeline of products that they can sort of roll out whenever they need to generate some buzz. Yeah, I guess if you're gonna if you're gonna ship that four forty ton wall around, you better have something to announce. <laughs> True. Um, so, 
one of the things they announced um, that I saw come across the wire today was that they've added uh, DNX HD support to their HyperDeck line, at least the HyperDeck Studio. I don't think they've added it, or at least announced yeah. it for the other HyperDeck product. Yeah, it just said Studio. So, so the HyperDeck Studio is their SSD recorder, their rack-mounted one. Right, which is uh, came out at NA, or was announced at NAB 2011, and uh, I think they started shipping maybe a little bit before IBC or at IBC around there. And it's a, a dirt cheap box, um, like under a thousand bucks records, uh, well up until where do you buy your dirt? (laughs) Man, I buy it at the Sony store. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, anyways, continue. And, uh, it records, uh, uncompressed HD onto, as Mike said, SSD discs, um, drives. What do you call an SSD? Whatever. Um, in little cartridges. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really simple box. It's designed to act like a VTR. Uh, so instead of putting DV cam tapes in it, you put SSDs in it and, uh, record. And it was, I mean, it was super exciting when they announced it because it is so inexpensive, um, compared to any other sort of uncompressed hd recorder uh the sort of downside is that it's definitely the an uncompressed hd recorder right it's definitely following the the razor blade model where uh the recorder is cheap but you have to record to ssds and and really it'd be best if you recorded to the black magic ssds um and of course you know a big ssd is not cheap and even a big ssd doesn't store that much uncompressed video Uh, right uncompressed hd yeah right and so today, I mean, and, 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 you know, their argument was, well, okay, but you know, the film industry lasted for a hundred years with, you know, four, four minute mags and, and whatever. So, you know, right. suck, it, suck it up. But, uh, now they've announced support for DNX HD, which is both great for the product and also another sort of harbinger of the, the death of ProRes, or at least the, uh, downgrading of ProRes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, who knows? We may very well see ProRes support come to this device. Um, right. But, uh, I mean, the difference is, I mean, so AJA has their disc recorder, the Key Pro, and they shipped with ProRes. And, you know, their big announcement recently was that they're adding DNX. This is someone doing DNX HD first, which I think is, you know, yeah. that's a big deal. Yeah, I, I agree. Um and you know it, it's cool and it's especially cool that they're just sort of adding it as a software update to an existing box i i was sort of shocked because i just didn't think that this box was designed with that sort of compression in mind but again as we've talked about black magic really benefits from their um you know software programmable hardware designs um that they can do some of this and they're not locked in by you know having a dedicated encoder chip or something right um so yeah, it'll be interesting to see once you know people start using this and and how it's working out. But uh, it you know makes the product much more attractive, I think, in in a realistic workflow situation and in studio situations and things where you need to get decent runtime on an SSD and you can't afford yeah. to have massive numbers of SSDs. Again, you know, it's not like SSDs were out of the realm of possibility versus like an HDCam SR tape or something. But this really brings it way down into even more realistic for for a wider well, audience. And even more importantly than that, I mean, half the reason why you want to record direct to disk is so that you can edit with it. And most people don't want to edit 
uncompressed footage. Right. right. Good you point. know, so this means you pop the SSD into your, you know, your assistant editor station and you copy all this all the footage over your Unity and you're done. You know, right. you've got stuff that can be pulled across fiber channel and edited in a large facility without, you know, crunching it all down to DNX later. Right. I mean, they, you know, I don't know why at this point, short of needing to cut in Final Cut, there's no reason to use ProRes anymore. Right. Well, I mean, that's all, that's kind of always Which been is the always only been reason true. to use ProRes, right? I mean, right. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot more reasons to not use ProRes now. Right. Especially given, you know, I mean, Apple is not pushing it hard enough as a format given that it's a closed format. I mean, I would not be filling shoeboxes full of drives with ProRes footage on it right. at this point. I mean, that's not what you want all your LTOs chock full of. Yeah, definitely. Um, it'll be interesting. I mean, it's it's a great upgrade, and it's, you know, it's great to see Avid really trying to push into the hardware. Yeah, yeah. No so what? So who? So key pros are going to support it. Yep. Blackmagic supporting it. The Alexa. The Alexa. That, was, that was another announcement this last week or the last two weeks that the. Was it? Yeah, yeah. That was a fairly recent thing, I think. Okay. I thought that was at IBC, but maybe I'm wrong. Mm. But I mean, there's not much. Who? Who's ProRes only now? Mm-hmm. Atomos. Yeah, maybe. Did they add DNX? And I, there's a few other. Well, I mean, uh, the question is, did Black? When did Black Magic start writing yeah. DNX support? <laughs> was it after they left? Because in that case, it's going to take uh, them a while. Well, Adamo steals from Black Magic. Allegedly. <laughs> Alleged. Yeah. I think there are a few other. Hasn't that been proven in court now, or is it still yeah, in court? Probably. I'm not sure. I don't know. I thought. It's Australia, though. Those aren't real laws. Um, Everyone's guilty when they get there. (laughs) (laughs) You don't need a fair court. Yeah, I can't think of any other major bits of ProRes-only hardware. I I feel like there are a few other cameras that might be... Cinedec, maybe? maybe? Mm, No, I think Cinedec goes to... Cinedec, did they go to Cineform? No, I don't. They both have Cine in the name. I don't even know this before I say it, do I? And especially, um, what Media Composer Six adds a four 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 version of DNX HD, which, which one does? Uh, Media Composer Six. Nice. So that you know, for things like this, because I think the Hyper Studio um, Hyper Deck is dual channel, isn't it? It should be. Let's say it is. I yeah, don't think it no, is. No, it's it's got two slots, but I don't think it's dual channel now. Cinedec does DNX HD and Cineform. So and ProRes. Yeah. Yeah. And uncompressed. Wow. It's so much fun to listen to us surf the web. Um, so yeah, so that's the big one out of Blackmagic. That and uh, Resolve upgrades to the yeah. light version of Resolve. Yeah, they added some more, uh, you know, they sort of unlocked some more features. They yeah. sort of pushed the the divider line between Resolve and Resolve Lite. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at this point, there's there's not a lot of reason to buy Resolve unless you're in a really high end. You know, if you need the database, right? If you yeah, if, if you, have you a... need more than one 
card, so more than one GPU or more than one Red Rocket. But that's I don't think that's all that common for most people. And if you're doing 3D, and if you right. want support, I mean, right? But I mean, most people. I mean, what it means is that you know anyone who was using color is now using right. Resolve Light, right? For sure. And then, you know, for a facility, it's, what, 1000 bucks, 995 bucks. So if you're a facility, you know, you'll buy it just to have the support and to have, you know. Right. But what some of the people on Twitter said, you know, some of the people, the colorists I follow, which seemed really right to me is, you know, what this means is I've already, I already have Resolve. I don't feel bad about buying Resolve, but now Light is on all my other machines. Yeah. You know, I'm downloading Light to put on my laptop and, you know, the six other stations in our facility. Right. No, I and think it's, it's, you know, it's great. great. And I mean, also to think, you know, that DaVinci was essentially bankrupt. I mean, Blackmagic bought them, bought the DaVinci product as it was going into bankruptcy. I don't think they actually were, but um, it was, you know, essentially dying. And they've now turned it into this this product that is, you know, looked at as the the premier, you know, color correction tool for a, a large sec- segment of the market. Well, I mean, the thing was... Da Vinci was always looked at that way. Well, it was for, by there was, by just, there was people, no but... way for them to make the transition into a consumer market. Right, and that's what I mean is that for the and that's Indies, what Blackmagic for... is so good at at this point. And for the type of people who don't, who would never need a real quote unquote real color correction tool, as in the people who would have not batted an eye at paying thirty grand for a color correction station, you know, suddenly this is the the tool that everyone's using. So yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm what's going to... Who's there, left in the... Hmm? Who's left in the color correct space? Uh, Baselight? Yeah, Baselight's been doing yeah, some really still, good stuff. Yeah, the problem they're... is everyone loved their Final Cut Pro plugin. Right. That <laughs> they just announced. And, the, I mean, the Foundry is kind of there, but what are the other... Who are the old guys? Um, the other, like, old guard color correction. <sighs> I'm trying to think. Because they still always have big booze at... Not Quantel. Quantel is kind yeah. of everything. Um, you know, Autodesk does some of that, but they don't really have a color only. Um, I Da Vinci was the really big one, and then Base Light. Yeah. Sintel. Eh, I thought they were more like telecine stuff. No. Yeah, but it's similar. Anywho, cool. I mean, it's yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go out and try to make my hundred dollar for the App Store color correct tool now. Yeah, it's, they, you, you'd sort of be Watsoned on that one. Yeah, that market is pretty much buttoned up now. It's interesting to see how well Blackmagic is doing at aping Apple. Mm-hmm. I mean, across the everything. board, from design to from their, from their like industrial design to their website to their even their business model which is like give away software and make your money on hardware they are someone there like looked at apple and said let's do that and they and you know to their credit they've implemented that plan almost flawlessly i mean i can't think of any major failures on their part no i think that's totally true and it's interesting to see you know as they diverge from what aja is doing in terms of you know what the core of the companies are you can see them drifting apart um as black magic has diversified and really pushed up market and down market um you know yeah. a few years ago you really thought of the two as 
you know, interchangeable and, and the card you bought sort of depended on whether you valued support over saving the couple hundred bucks. And now it's right. which pigtail you needed. Right. Now, now they've, they've, it's, you know, definitely a, a bigger divide and, and it's great. I mean, black magic's really pushed a lot of markets. So it's been interesting to see AJA trying to catch up too. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things they recently announced, which, you know, is so late in coming is a revision of their, just packaged free software. And I don't think they've actually shipped that yet. I'll be curious to see how that looks in reality. I mean it you know, it has the same screenshot mock up that you want <laughs> for an app nowadays. You know, it's lots of black gradients. Right. But, you know, that can be done just as poorly as anything else. Right. Um and they've also had I mean it seems like they've had some trouble getting products out the door. Um some of their boards and things that just seem to take a little too long to ship to really capitalize on the market. Yeah, that's true. So, I don't know. But, hey, you know, there's certainly a place for them. There's people who swear by AJA. And, again, you know, there are people who feel like the the extra support and the, you know, the more hands-on approach that AJA has traditionally taken is, is worth the trade-off. I don't know. No, I mean, they're, they still make great hardware. Absolutely. And again, I mean, you know, as with so many things in the industry these days, it really doesn't matter which one you choose because you're going to be able to get your work done. You know, it's it's not like a few years ago where you could buy a board that, you know, was literally unusable because the software was so bad or because, you know, whatever else, um, you know, you really can't go wrong. Yeah, I remember really questioning whether or not I could, you know, the the. For a while there, I did freelance color correction. I built a color correction suite for home. And, you know, there was a lot of stuff I did not skimp on. And one of the things I bought was a Blackmagic card. And, uh, you know, there were, you know, having been, before I went off on my own, having been the person who did support for edit stations and, you know, the capture cards and whatnot, um, I would have been... It would have been impossible to get any work done had I not, you know, been fairly comfortable mucking around right. with Final Cut Pro settings and stuff. I mean, yep, it's gone good. Yeah, well, everybody, you know, we're it's pretty stable, and it's also just we're no longer, on, you know, doing uncompressed HD is no longer sort of right on the edge of the universe imploding you know it's like yeah. well you can do that on your you know a couple ssds rated together or a single ssd even um and you know have some headroom and you won't be taxing your cpu and all these other things whereas it used to be you know repair permissions and defrag and you know that is true yeah hold down the, the pram or yeah so uh ocula this is some pretty wicked software yeah so I, we should have done this, Mike. What, Don Ocula? Yeah. As as a plug into Nuke, or we should have done no. Nuke and then done Ocula. Well, we should have done some of the cool features of Ocula that look cool for Treadjo booths. I don't really care about the shipping product part. It's a uh, yeah. So Ocula is the Foundry's set of extensions for Nuke to do 3D. And uh, I mean, 
they we will link to a really really nice sort of demo video of what can be done with it but um i don't know i mean so if you're working with 3d you got two eyes and that sort of introduces a number of problems and they've what i mean what their special sauce seems to be is they've got a really good node for com for figuring out disparity between the two eyes mm -hmm. so for every if you take the two pictures and you lay them on top of each other, what happens is every pixel has a a matching pixel in the other eye, you know, except for things that are around the edges of objects, what are called occlusions. You know, anything that, that both cameras can see, there's a point in both images that match each other. And so what you need to do for any math on a 3D image is find the distance between those two points when you lay them on top of each other. And that's what gives you all of your depth information. That's what gives you the ability, you know, once you've matched those two points to each other, you can do things like color correct from one image to the other without changing things. You can move detail from one to the other if one of the two cameras is out of focus. You know, they have lots of great demos with what they're able to do with this. But I was just, you know, looking at this personally, I was just really impressed with the, with the, disparity information they're able to generate now yeah yeah very impressive and also it, it seems and neither of us are nuke users but it seems like it integrates nicely into the nuke pipeline in terms of the way you can get data out of this into other tools within nuke and and really make it a seamless part of a workflow right well i mean my understanding is ocula is just a couple more nodes for nuke right. yeah exactly yeah. that's and that's what i mean is that they've they've thought through the sort of um, data that you might want to get out. I mean, one of the really obvious but really cool things is that they do disparity to depth mapping and they feed that out as data that you can then plumb into, um, you know, other nodes within, um, within Nuke. So if you want to, like, insert objects at a certain depth from the camera, they actually give you Z data out of your 3D in, right. you know, automatically. Um, and so, you know, stuff like that that's just really cool. Yeah, no, I, I mean... So I did, you know, I had done a fair amount with disparity mapping years ago. And I was just, you know, this video, it was really interesting to see how much better results you're able to get now. Right. And I mean, part of that was, you know, when I was doing it, one, it had to be real time. It had to work off a live video feed. And two, you know, we were on PowerPC. And it was SD, you know, sub SD. Yeah. Right. Um, and it wasn't, I mean, this, you know, granted is, you know, this is all footage from feature film. So they're going to have a well calibrated rig and clean plates and everything else. But it, uh, it looked really nice. Yeah. I never got, you know, that quality of depth <laughs> map out of two eyesight cameras hooked up to a duct tape Mac together. Mini. Yeah. Or an serve. Yeah. So, uh, cool stuff. I, I, you know, again, it, it's stuff like this that kind of makes me wish I got to play with these tools in, in real world situations. But on the other hand, I'm glad I, I don't, because, you know, I know that the reality is still that you're going to spend a lot of time rotoscoping and doing other horrible things. Yeah. I mean, they even said that in, you know, in the one, the 3d map they showed where they convert everything, right? It doesn't find the edges of the objects. Right. So all it did was you gave it, uh, you gave it roto pass, and then it was able to everything inside of the roto gets this, this the z depth, you know, which just averages the z depth for everything inside the roto. Right. 
which is a lot easier than like taking 3D data and saying, okay, now make that into, you know, a fake green screen. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think we're a couple years away from that still. Yeah. But probably not as far as we would have thought just a couple years ago. So Yeah, it's true. Uh, Final Cut 10.02 came out. Yes. All right, here's the thing. They came out with 10.01 and said, with Final Cut X, these point releases are actually like big deals. It's just like going from Final Cut, like, you know, from Mac OS 10.0.2 to 10.0.3 or something. And that they were going to have lots of things. And then they pushed out 10.002. And it's just a tiny little update. Why did they do that? They fixed like three bugs, right? Yeah. Why Why did they do that? Um, I'm assuming they needed to fix those three bugs. But I mean, why? It's I mean, <laughs> and why these three? It seems completely random. I mean, given um, the list of, you know. I would assume those are the only bugs they have left. <laughs> no? No, I don't think so. Uh. I mean, and it's hard not to start to f- question yeah, what the real motivation here is because it fixes an issue in which a title may revert to the default font after restarting. Okay, I mean, that's annoying, yeah. Um, and some stability issues. and But uh, in the grand scheme of things, these just seem so minor that they pushed out a release for these things. I assume it's based on a client. I mean, it's... I, I, I guess... There must, there must be a customer who these affected. I mean, because... What they said when 10.01 came out was that they would be that their next release would be in early 2012 and would have you know multicam and all these other things, um, and they sort of set it up like these point releases are going to be big things like that that add features. And so then to have this little bug bug fix come out, it you know I hope they're still working on all that other stuff. Well, there's no reason why they can't be. Well, right, but I mean you know we also saw with you know with earlier final cut with final cut 7 you know you would sort of see these tiny little you know insignificant bug releases come out and you could read into that an indication of where they were going with their product line so i don't know yeah Mm, i guess we'll see i just you know it's I think it's up in the air, at least for the next, you know, six months, especially with all the change going on at Apple and with all of the industry reactions to Final Cut X, whether they're going to stick with it through this difficult transition period. And I think that if they do and, you know, we make it six months down the line and they get another big release out, I think everything's going to be okay. But with Apple, I think it's always a question of whether they are going to they are going to do it. And we don't really know anything about, you know, how Tim Cook feels about the Final Cut line and. I don't know. I mean, do you think it's even a big enough deal for him to be involved? I mean, Steve was involved in Final Cut Pro, I I would assume, but I don't I I don't know. I mean, I hope it's not left up to Phil Schiller. Oh. Um Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's got a good foundation. It would be nice to I, see them build on it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I, you know, the more I get to use it for even tiny little things, the more I enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I'm starting to see more stuff coming out of it. And there are people still mired in the controversy, but um, I think it's a cool product. We just bought a copy of uh, 
media composer to beta test on. And uh, I got to say, if I can ever get it to run on my machine, <laughs> that's all I'm going to do, cut any cutting in. I, God, I love Avid. It's so good. Oh, it's so awful. Mm, you just don't know. How, you just you don't. You're not I, one with yeah, the trim I tool. Yeah, I absolutely understand that if you and the are, yellow and the red buttons. It's all about the yellow and the red. I get it. If you're a part of the cult, I like if you do Avid twelve hours a day every day. I absolutely understand why you love it. I'm just saying. I yeah, mean, I'm kind of curious to see once I launch it if I can even figure out where the yellow and red <laughs> buttons are on my all white keyboard. Because <laughs> I don't. I'm not sure I've ever run it without one of those like. The, the stickers not like the like the full avid keyboard Ooh, the like real the ones, clackety yeah. clackety keyboard yeah i don't know yeah you can't even pop the keycaps off these new apple keyboards i know i don't know what i would I, i'm sure i could figure it out eventually but it's going to be a lot of hovering over the on-screen thing looking for the keyboard shortcuts right yeah what else you want to cover here was you, you had feature requests and possible directions for Final Cut? Oh, Did I was thinking actually... we could we could play product manager for a while on Final Cut. Oh, and figure out where it should go. I I don't know. I mean, I feel like most of the things they've outlined are uh, the most of the things that I'm. I feel like are really important, like proper support for capture cards and and multicam. Like they've already outlined those as coming. Yeah, that's obvious. The, you know, and and. You know, I don't think they're going to get back into a wider workflow situation, and I'm totally cool with that. And given what I'm hearing out of you know Cat DV and whatnot, it seems like people are finding other places to entrust their media management. So I think you know Final Cut can be a better player in those spaces. Obviously, the the point one release helped out a lot, but there's there's a ways it can go yet to be a better citizen in a in a multi station environment. But uh, you know, I think the core editing features are so solid that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, could use some some better audio controls and things. But again, I think they've decided that you know when you look at the landscape, people either are sort of okay with the audio tools in their NLE, or they're just going to use Pro Tools because they've got a guy who's going to do it in Pro Tools. Um, right. So why bother? You know, guy or gal. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if they ever do anything with iCloud. Yeah, that'd be cool. I can imagine a world in which you could have multiple editors on, you know, each with a different project, but they, you have all the projects open in in everyone's edit station. Yeah. And it just sort of pushes the changes back and forth. Yeah. I don't know. I think it'd be cool. I mean... I should do work on that. True. Uh, so yeah, Final Cut X, it's there. I hope it sticks around. I don't, have you ever played with Premiere? Yeah. I mean, Premiere is is Premiere Pro is Final Cut Seven. You know. Like you, you, there would be very little that would keep you from getting up to speed quickly on Premiere Pro. Um, if you're familiar with Final Cut, Final Cut Old. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people are really happy with it. And I think it's a very usable platform. I think that, you know, there's still a lot of, a lot of areas at the high end where it, it can't compete, but for 
um, indies and industrials and, you know, corporate production and everything else, there's absolutely nothing wrong with Premiere. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything you couldn't, you couldn't do in it, but I've just never really enjoyed working in it. No, because it always feels like, I mean, you know, especially if you're a long time Final Cut user, it always feels like it's just not quite Final Cutty enough. Because yeah. because they've they've really mirrored so much of the interface with the new Premiere Pros, but not mirrored it quite right. Um, it just is sort of constantly a little bit grating. Bizarre Final Cut. Yeah. Um, but again, and again, you know, because it's, a, and this is a little bit of uh, editorializing, but I think that because of the cross-platform nature of it, a lot of the file management, import-export, things like that, just have never been quite as robust as um, you know something where they've hitched their wagon to a very particular technology like QuickTime as much as we hate QuickTime. Yeah, that really is it. I mean, it's it's the problem with all of Adobe's products. They feel like they're not quite Mac apps. Right. Not. I mean, they're not as bad as like a Java app, but they're not a lot better. Right. And you know, Avid doesn't have that problem because they don't feel like. A Windows app either, you know, they just feel right, like... Right, Avid sort of, is just a tool. Right. It's not really a program. Right. Um, but I don't know. I mean, yeah. It's fine. I just, you know, I also... When Final Cut X came out and everyone freaked out, uh, a lot of people said, oh, I'm going to move to Premiere. I don't know. I, you know, and Adobe has said that they've had a, an uptick in sales, but... What I've seen, at least from our users, is definitely a shift towards Avid, but very little interest in Premiere. Huh. A lot of the people I sort of follow um, have made the switch. I mean, they're kind of doing both. I mean, they used to be Avid Final Cut. Now they're Avid Premiere. Sure. But every, I mean, most of the most of the editors I see are cutting some projects in Premiere now, more you know, at least testing out the waters. Hmm. They just need they need a mezzanine codec. A good one. Yeah, that's that's true. Or they just need to adopt DNX HD. Like that's what would make you know, that would be brilliant, right? That would be the end, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Not sure I see that happening. They could buy GoPro and get Cineform. Yeah, I mean they've always had a tight relationship with Cineform, but I'm not sure that really gets them that far. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, the market sort of kind of tolerated two formats. I don't think it'll tolerate three, and I don't think ProRes is going away quite that much. But yeah. Cineform, you know, yeah, go ahead. Is Cineform based off anything? Like, is it? It's not. It's it predates VC three. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm assuming it's just like run length encoding type stuff. I don't know. Um, I don't know. The Apple TV has kind of died down. Do we? That's been on our list for a while to talk about, but I feel like yeah, I mean, we could touch we on it. Missed our moment. Yeah, you know, it's, it <laughs> was they're not going to make one anymore. It was interesting to watch that arc, um, and I think where the arc ended is is the right place um, because it seems like initially there, you know, some jackass analysts said Apple's going to make a TV. People have been saying this for decades. <laughs> I don't know. Um, 
And of course, everyone started fantasizing about what the Apple TV would be. And initially, it was all around the sort of the 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 first things you think about with Apple, which are the design and the user experience. And so, it's going to have this sort of built-in Apple TV thing, but it's going to be controlled through you know Siri, and it's going to be like totally crazy. And you know, I think what the conversation progressed to, and this at least is what I heard, was people saying, you know a TV with a really great interface and a TV with a really awful interface don't really differentiate that much because you almost never use your TV's interface. Um, right. And so the conversation then came back around to focus primarily on content, which is that if Apple were to do a TV, it would be all about content deals and content delivery. Right. And I mean, I think the smartest thing I saw was the idea of getting rid of channels, getting rid of it as a TV. Right. Right, no input. Make it a big screen that runs apps. Right, and and if somebody wants to get content to the TV, then make an app. Right, in the same way, if you want to put a magazine on an iPad, you don't like publish a PDF to the the magazine store. Right, at Apple, you make an app and sell it through iTunes. Yeah, and I think that'd be brilliant. I mean, you know, they've started testing those waters with the current Apple TV, where they've got. Internet channels, MLB, NHL, NBA, Wall Street, or one of the financial networks. Um, And even that they're not apps in the sense of, you know, they each have a different interface or whatever, but you're very clearly sort of diving into this particular service. Netflix is the same way. Um, And I could totally see a device that, you know, delivered a more app experience, but around that model of content producers decide what they want to deliver and charge subscriptions. And, you know, a lot of that infrastructure is in place. I, I think my biggest hang up is I still don't entirely believe that Apple's going to actually make physical TVs. It just seems logistically. Well, they don't have to. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Why can't they do, they can do all of that through the Apple TV. Again, and uh, yeah, exactly. So why logistically would they want to get in the business of shipping 60 inch pieces of glass around? Mm. you know and that's what everyone seems to think they're going to make this tv and it'll be super thin and no inputs and whatever and i just feel like that you know to be an I mean, apple apple margined product i don't know i mean the advantage of it the major advantage of it for apple is that they are the only people who can just buy the quantity mm-hmm. to win at that yeah. you know because the, i mean the the big things apple can Apple would do if they went into that, the hardware side, is they would consolidate on two sizes, which is where, you know, everyone else just gets beat up on a, you know, you know, wide and deep product line. Right. So you have two models, you have, you know, you you just put down a down payment of a billion dollars to, you know, start up your production line. And that buys you, you know, exclusive contract. I mean, yeah. there's, there's not a lot of people making the LCD panels. And so Apple's already buying a lot of the world's LCD. Yeah. They could, they could get a good price if they wanted it. I and just, not to mention, I mean, I, I assume it's sold by the square inch. So... If they can, if they can put in a big enough order to drop that cost per square inch, that affects everything they make. Yeah, you know, that means the iPhone's less money, and they're not going to drop the price on the iPhone. It just means they make a bigger profit margin right. across their entire product line. Yeah, I just think, you know, when you think about an Apple Store, for example, would you rather sort of have in stock four TVs or a thousand iPhones? <laughs> <laughs> 
in the same you know amount of floor space and and just the the sort of the issues that come with moving physical objects of that magnitude right i mean what i could imagine here actually this is what i could see them doing an a5 based imac yeah so it's the imac form factor you can use a bluetooth keyboard with it but it runs ios and it's a replacement for a home computer yeah i think that's probably coming um and that would you know it would be a tv for a lot of people and nothing else and it would be a you know it'd be mom and dad's computer for a lot of people yeah yeah i could go with that but i don't know it'll be interesting to see i mean i i love my apple tv um and you know i hope they they keep pushing it i'd, I'd love to see them do a, a new version with an a5 and we got upgraded to google too google oh tv too cool v2 it's nice i like it it's gonna dock great and no, you, I mean, what you bad mouth it, but it's not a bad device it's a fine netflix delivery device yeah what else do you need what does your apple tv do what what, what i'm saying is that it was a $300 device that did the same thing that these other $89 devices do, and it no one uses any of the other features that were supposed to make it interesting and differentiate it. Well, that's and, the you problem know, with that market. But it's like, it, and I don't think it's even the best Netflix delivery device. I mean, I think the Apple TV is more logical and faster and everything else to get to your content, and I think the Roku you know, not only gives you Netflix, but gives you lots of other content options as well. I just don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything great about it. Um, it was nice getting one for free, yeah, but I don't know if, uh, I don't know, it's not horrible. It's not, I mean, it has its problems, but it's not, you know, what was the what was the one before that? That was so good. Mm, I don't know. There was another nut top box, which was just abysmal. There have been a lot of horrible ones. Yeah. Oh, well. So, yeah. We'll see. I mean, you know, 2012 is obviously going to be the year that it either happens or it doesn't happen. <laughs> Why does it have to be one of those? <laughs> I guess they could announce that it's going to happen. That'd be the more traditional market industry thing. It'll be the year of the rumors about it. Yeah. I'm much more interested in the uh, the shipping in March ultra thin 15 inch MacBook Pro. You think? Yeah, you think they're that close on that? That's what the rumors this week were. Mm. Oh God, that'd be hot. I should sell my 17. Now that all other 17. Now that all my music is up in uh, iCloud, I don't even need the second hard drive. Ooh. Yeah, so you did that. You're on Match now. Yep. It's called iMatch, right? iTunes match. iMatch? <laughs> yes, iMatch. iTunes iMatch? Yeah. At, at, at Macworld iWorld? <laughs> Mobile match dot Mac. Anyways, yeah. So it, it worked? Yeah, seems to. I can you get to all anything? my music from my phone, which is neat. Cool. I could. So it. does it download stuff, or do you... What happens if you're in the subway? Um... Yeah, so when you tap something, it starts playing right away, but it's doing a progressive download, um, and so it pulls it down, and then you actually got it. Does it kind of manage that in the background and toss yeah. stuff as need be? Uh, supposedly, yeah. Okay. And you can also tap Because you have a lot of music. Yeah, I've got 
24,636 items. How many hours is that? 64.4 days. Wow. That's not very practical. Right. Not that enough. must have cost you a fortune to buy. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I only have 31 days. Wow. I'm kind of surprised I've got that much. Huh. Anyways, yeah. Chatter. What's your chatter this week, Mike? Oh, um, I have two. Two? Yeah, I'm surprising you. What's the other one? Um, so the first one is uh, if you needed any proof that film is dying and or dead, it has now become nostalgic, <laughs> which is uh, Lomo, the maker of cameras. For hipsters. That make your stuff look bad. but It's like Instagram except with film. It's Instagram, but it's, it's physical. They've made a little hand crank. It's really cute. It's a little hand crank, 35 millimeter. Um, it looks like it's. It must be like a three sprocket film camera. So it, you stick your roll of film in there and you crank it fast right. or slow. Right. It's up to you. You crank. You put like 35 millimeter still film or a film right. You camera. put a whole yeah. roll of still film in there and you go, and it takes whatever 300 frames. Right, because it shoots narrow slices. Well, because it's shooting, it you you mount it horizontal, right? I'm sorry, you mount like, it running vertically, like you would with a uh, right, and then it's got cinema like camera, an and then every three sprockets is a frame, right? Whereas when you're shooting with a still camera, it's every nine or something, right? Because you're shooting the other direction. So yeah, so you get like something like 300 frames out of a roll of film, but because it's you know hand crank, it's got all the great problems of hand crank where you know you're basically have an entirely random um uh exposure time you know your shutter is also based off your hand cranking right and so you get the strobing and you get the funny motion and you get you know all that but it's cute and it looks uh, it's twee and the idea is after you get this after you shoot this, you have it developed, and then you like scan all the prints, and then use some software to slice them into, you know, slice the prints into frames, and then. I didn't think about that. They had? Do they have a thing for that? I think they have an app or someone I has think an they app. They have a service for that, right? They must have a service. Oh wait, I see. You take your developed and uncut film through Lomo's specialized Lomo Kinoscope. Oh no. So they, oh, oh yeah, they have a, uh, oh, weird. Yeah. So Lomos Kinoscope is a telecine? I didn't look this far. Yeah. It's a viewer. I don't know how you're supposed oh, to Oh, I see. Like you. So it's not the scan. It's, so Kinoscope is just a little like um, Edison style. Right. So yeah. I don't, it doesn't look like they have a, uh, a workflow no. for getting it into your computer. No. It so, is neat, though. I, yeah, I'm surprised you didn't get one. I'm not. I don't. I don't need that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. They tell you to scan your roll using a flatbed scanner, and then yeah, yeah. I almost, I almost made a telecine that way. <sighs> a flatbed scanner and like a stepper driver. Yeah. 
It sounds. It works. You can do it. I'm sure you can. It's not the best. Pay for itself. Yeah. What's your other uh, chatter? Oh, so the other chatter is um, like a, two weeks ago, a video went around on the inner tubes of uh, a stop motion um, video shot from the International Space Station. It was sort of the Earth moving underneath the station. I didn't see that. And it was uh, really sort of cruddy quality, and everyone was like, "Wow, this would be—it'd be nice if we ever, you know, got the good quality one." And so someone went back to—I mean, what had happened was the photos were posted, and someone made this, you know, kind of low-res version. And someone went back and scanned them all and put them into a nice package and color matched them, color corrected them, removed grain because it's all like it's with their low—they've got an HD low. Um, light camera from NHK sure. on the bottom of the thing. And so someone went through and removed all the grain and put, you know, the appropriate transy track to it. And uh, it's, it's up in HD on Vimeo. And it's worth watching in, you know, full screen. Cool. The speaker's turned up. It's uh, It's all like, you know, lightning. It's all at night. So it's the station going over parts of the earth at night cool so city lights aurora borealis uh, lightning storms it's very cool looking wicked i will Post take a, a look. look yeah how about you, um, you i have uh two volumes of a book by john buck called timeline which is a history of editing and i have not read these yet i saw them linked from um dv info or creative cow or one of those places um where he's gone back and sort of walked through the the timeline the history of motion picture editing from sort of the early days on up through nles and, and digital delivery and everything else and it sounds like um he's gone out and interviewed a lot of the really important figures within the within the field, um, both from the film world and also from the digital world. So he talks to like Randy Ubelos and a lot of the people from the, the big NLEs that we use today. And um, it's a Kindle only book, as far as I'm aware. I don't think there are hmm. print copies available, um, but you can buy so, it. So wait, those screenshots of the book, those are fake? I think they might be. Oh man, uh, I am against this. This like fake book title, whatever, whatever fake product box. I don't know. I may feel cheated by that. But um, anyways, yeah. In, in any case, it looks, I mean, you know, it looks like an interesting, very niche sort of book on a subject that we're interested in. So I'll be eager to, I mean, it's dirt cheap. It's, it's really is cheap. It's five bucks. Um, so, you know, I think it's worth checking out. I'll be eager to, to give it a, a perusal and uh, see what it's all about. Cool. So, yeah. That's good recommendation. I'll, I want to hear what you think. Yeah, it's called, and I'm going to give you the 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 number to my dirt guy because <laughs> you'll be amazed at the deals I get. Alrighty then, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you next week. Oh, plus or minus. Yep. <laughs>